Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. Hello, Justin. Hello, Caleb. How are you? Doing well, and we have a ton to get to on this week's episode because, well, we have the recap of the doubleheader at Iowa, the Hy-Vee Deals. Dot com 250 one by joseph newgarden what was that presented by doordash right yeah that one was doordash the and second then one the was google high v salute to farmers 300 presented by google one by pato award at iowa speedway last weekend plus the latest on the alex below contract drama another silly season update and we get you set for indycar racing at the indianapolis motor speedway on the road course this weekend for the gallagher grand prix but before we do all that, we had the chance to talk with Nick Yeoman of IndyCar Radio earlier this week to talk about Iowa and the championship chase in IndyCar. Nick Yeoman of the IndyCar Radio Network joining us. Nick, good afternoon. Caleb, Justin, good to be with you guys as always. Hope everything's good there in Fort Wayne. Everything is uh, going swimmingly here in Fort Wayne. And Nick, I, I assume you're back from Iowa Speedway from over the weekend. But first off, let's just start off. What an absolute amazing event that Hy-Vee put on in conjunction with Penske Entertainment for this doubleheader weekend. They had those amazing suites, they had great concerts, everything was put together. This feels like kind of the future of successful race promotion in motorsports. Kind of laid the blueprint, didn't it? Yeah, I mean it was uh, it was just successful across the board, and and I think this is uh, this is what it takes these days. There is just so many different things. You know, whether it be from a sports or music or entertainment, the internet standpoint of, of things that can preoccupy our time, that you've got to kind of think outside the box. And, and if you're going to have an event, you've got to build it up and appeal to as many people as possible. Uh, so you're right. I mean, the, the concert, the, the money dumped in by the Ivy supermarket chain was just impressive. And, and uh, it really pumped a lot of life back into this Iowa weekend, which, you know, before it, it popped off the schedule a couple years ago, the crowd seemed to be dwindling. They would move the race state around. Some years it was a night race. Some years it was during the day. And it, and it just kind of got shuffled in the mix on the IndyCar schedule. It came back full force. And uh, and I'm hopeful that, you know, we've brought some new fans to the racetrack who maybe didn't know anything about IndyCar racing. We're there to see Gwen Stefani or, or Tim McGraw or Blake Shelton. And maybe they walked away intrigued and, and became fans. That's always the hope. But uh, above all, I mean, it, it felt like going in it was a big weekend for the sport and and by far it certainly delivered big crowds good racing and i think everybody walked away pretty excited with how it went nick any indication on from high v's side in terms of what they wanted to accomplish this weekend whether it was activation whether it was social media presence whether it was just you know added you know profile in everyone's minds in terms of their product and their grocery chain. What did they want to accomplish? And do you feel, or, or maybe this is too early. Do you feel that they were able to accomplish what they set out to do? Yeah. Well, my understanding from the get go is, is high V's involvement in the sport and with this weekend was, was kind of their way. They, they want to branch out. That's a, it's a grocery chain located and around Iowa and surrounding States. And I know they want to kind of push to be a more national brand, so this was kind of their way of, of dipping their toe in it. Um, to your point, it is probably a little too early. Um, I think we're all hopeful that in time they will see some return on that investment. But right now it's impossible to know. I mean, they dumped a ton of money. I heard up around $10 million and, and the celebrities that they brought in with the concerts and everything. I mean, clearly they uh, they gave it their best effort along with, 
with everyone with uh, with Penske. So, uh, yeah, I, I know that that's their goal. Is they're they're looking to expand their reach across the country and and doing it by getting involved with a sports league and and putting on events like that. Traditionally, that's been the way to do it, and we'll see in, in 2022 if that holds true. Nick Yeoman joins us. Did not expect to see Mark Wahlberg there. That one threw me for a loop. Yeah, for sure, for sure. He was down there. I know he's been to some IndyCar races in the past. I think he, he waved the green flag at uh, the 500 a handful of years ago, but that was kind of a, a late addition there to be the grand marshal for uh, for race number two. So, yeah, that kind of star power is cool. In fact, I, honestly, if you look at with him being there and, and all the concerts, I think the celebrity list might have been more impressive for this Iowa weekend than what we've seen in recent years for the Indy 500. So, uh, yeah, certainly they, they did it up big this weekend, and it, and it really gave – the entire weekend, a pretty important field. Nick, let's go back to the racing. Both days dominated by Joseph Newgarden, but uh, a late crash on Sunday afternoon, possibly something broke on the car. So he's able to walk away, but then unfortunately fell after uh, fainting and cut his head, had to be airlifted to the hospital. He's since been released. Is there any update on his status ahead of this weekend's race at IMS? Not as of yet. I know right now he'll uh, he'll have to clear IndyCar's protocol and, and get cleared and uh, be, be able to race. And, and T. Penske has already kind of put into to play a backup plan just in case he is not by reaching out to, to Santino Ferrucci, who's kind of been a, a super sub in, in many respects. Done a really nice job no matter who he's driven for. But, uh, yeah, as of right now, just a very bizarre situation. I, I actually spoke with Joseph at the infield care center after he crashed and it, it was a big hit and he admitted it but uh visually from from my standpoint he seemed okay obviously checked in, and released from the infield care center moments prior to to uh to, to the you know the satisfaction of indycar so uh, you know unaware of right now can't wait to hear from joseph if whether or not he was just dehydrated or maybe this was a you know kind of delayed reaction of the, the concussion but it sounds like he, he fell on the bus lot and hit his head and, and got a pretty pretty uh, big abrasion on, on the back of his head. So a very scary situation and, and obviously hoping for the best for a guy who uh, is in the midst of a championship run. I mean, he's in, in just 34 points out of the championship, so it would be almost a death blow if he's not able to race this weekend at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. But uh, as of right now, we're going to have to wait and see to, uh, to see just how healthy and if he gets cleared by the sport. Nick, you talk about him being in the sink of the championship, and yes, he has four wins on the season, and Probably should have had five, obviously, until that failure Sunday. Unfortunately, it seems like a lot of the focus, though, for Joseph has been on the the what ifs and what could have been's this year, and 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 not the race wins itself. Yeah, and that's uh, that's crazy, right? I mean, it, and I think that's a lot. We're going to find out. I mean, whether a championship can be won when you get hot and you win five, six, seven races, but you're very inconsistent. I kind of look at Pato Award, the driver who ended up winning yesterday. He's kind of in the same boat where he's been really good at times with race wins and podiums, but has also had some DNFs, and he's right there in the championship hunt. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you've got guys like Marcus Erickson and Scott Dixon who, you know, have only won one race each, but consistently week in, week out, they're running in the top five or six. They're more than one way to skin a cat. That, that's that's for darn sure. But uh, for Joseph, yeah, it, it's going to be about finding the consistency and trying to avoid, uh, you know, the mistakes that, that, that haunt you and, and rip away points. I don't think this one was necessarily on him. It certainly looked like something failed on that race car, some sort of broken suspension part that sent him in the wall because there was no doubt, I think, in anyone's mind he was going to win that race. And 
and really kind of uh, put his stamp on, on what was a dominant weekend. But for sure, it's it's the consistency that he's needed to find if he's going to try to grab a third championship. Nick, it's the old, you know, two two contracts, one driver gag. Uh, latest with Alex Pillow, any additional fallout, rumors, discussion, tense moments, awkward moments from the weekend? Uh, no, I wish there was, man. This has just been one of the weirdest stories I think I've ever seen with the sports. Um, I talked a bit with Alex on Friday before practice, and he said, ah, there's nothing really to report. So as of right now, he is uh, still being claimed by multiple teams heading into next season. Um, it, it, it's just really interesting how it's going to play out. Chip Ganassi has him under contract, picked up an option year, and, and, and he made the move. Alex did, that he wants to move on to McLaren. and uh, It's going to get messy, but uh, every day, every week, we, I hope to hear a little more information to come out. But as of right now, uh, I think there's there's still a lot of debate about how this is going to play out. Yeah, you're with us, Nick. We, I mean, there, there's some people out there. Oh, it's you know unnecessarily drama, and it's it's not good to grow new fans. It's great. I think looking at McLaren, and you mentioned McLaren, they play by a whole different set of rules than everybody else in the IndyCar paddock because they have a clear path to Formula One, and you can dangle that carrot in front of any driver that hasn't been there that wants to get there. And, you know, some people can say it's, it's, it makes them the villain. They can play by different rules, but I think it shakes up the paddock in a lot of ways that we haven't seen in quite some time in the sport. Well, and it's big for drivers. It's big for the driver market and the standpoint that McLaren's coming in with a big budget too. Like they can throw around some big dollars, which, you know, quite frankly, the IndyCar driver salaries have kind of been stagnant over the last decade. If, if not have dropped compared to what drivers were making maybe in the 90s and early 2000s. So all of a sudden you got this team that, that comes over from the Formula One world and they want to get involved in IndyCar and, uh, and yeah, start throwing their weight around. And, and I'm with you. I think it's made it interesting. And, and honestly, I like it when there are multiple sides in, in competition that don't like each other. And by all indications, Chip Ganassi and Zach Brown, who's kind of the, the head figure there with McLaren, uh, there is no love between those two. So, we will see who ultimately gets their hands on uh, the 2022 IndyCar or 2021 IndyCar champion Alex Pillow. But uh, it certainly sounds like there are going to be some court disputes and maybe some buyouts if Alex Pillow is going to end up leaving Chip Ganassi Racing. Speaking of Chip Ganassi Racing, Nick, Jimmy Johnson had his best weekend in IndyCar by far over the weekend. 11th on Saturday after leading a handful of laps was running pretty strong until he faded late. And then fifth place on Sunday that included battling with his teammates at Ganassi, Scott Dixon and Marcus Erickson, a fierce battle with Erickson late in the race. You could see his confidence go go up between Saturday and Sunday running that high line over the weekend. And th- this was kind of the racing I think we expected Jimmy to have coming on the ovals. I guess we did not expect it to be at a track like Iowa Speedway where he's not raced before. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's just really nice to see. It's good for, for Jimmy Johnson. It's, it's good for his fans that, uh, I mean, listen, he's, he's taken a lot of punches because it has not gone well on the road and street circuits. I mean, by and large, uh, week in, week out, Jimmy's in the bottom two or three in the sport. Lots of mistakes and spins on the road courses, but this was more in his wheelhouse. I mean, he has 686 NASCAR Cup Series starts. I'd venture to guess probably 640 of them were on ovals. And you look at the IndyCar field, we only run two, three, four ovals every year. So this was where Jimmy Johnson's experience could really shine. And uh, and I think 
he brought that confidence into this weekend. And, and he said that racing at Iowa Speedway with the banking um, compared to, to maybe the more flatter Indianapolis Motor Speedway or a little bit later this year when we go to St. Louis, the Worldwide Technology Raceway, you know, the, the banking of Iowa Speedway is a little bit more what he's used to, to racing in NASCAR. So uh, he was able to define that confidence very quickly. And I think really strong for him to show that, like, hey, it, it may not be going well on road and street circuits, but he's not a hack. He can still get it done. He's still strong. And uh, I, I know everyone very happy with how things went for Jimmy Johnson this past weekend. And, Nick, in fact, you're talking about him getting a strong result. He's going to one of the few road and street courses where he has a ton of experience on, the IMS road course, where he's raced, what, three times already in his young IndyCar career? Is this a weekend where maybe we could see more of a breakthrough result for him for a best road and street course finish? Man, I'd, I'd love to say so, but I just, I just don't think, I don't think it's going to happen for him on the road and street circuit. He, he does a nice job oftentimes of, of taking care of the race cars, and when he does have those spins, they're ultimately not race-ending ones. Um, but there's just, I mean, there's just a lot of ground to be made up, and it, it's, I think, a lot harder to find those tenths and hundredths of a second, you know, to make up. And, and, and all of a sudden, you look at how stacked this IndyCar field is, and for him to break into and find a top ten on a road course, all of a sudden he's got to be faster than guys like Colton Herta and Will Power and, and, and Scott Dixon. I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Uh, I think it's the, the results for Jimmy Johnson are going to strictly be uh, when, when IndyCar goes to ovals. But uh, with every race and every track that he gets to visit uh, more and more times, you, you're right, conventional wisdom would say that he's going to get stronger. But, boy, I just think the curve is so strong. Uh, to be able to compete with some of these guys who have been racing on road and street circuits for so long, and they know how far you can dive into the braking zones, and they've got a feel for when you can pick up the throttle at corner exit. That's the thing that, that takes a long time to figure out, and, and it's going to take years, I think, for Jimmy to be really competitive on road streets. Nick, we're in the middle of a long summer streak of races, and after this week and next week at Nashville, there's only three races to go for the season when we look at the championship standings and how things are trending with five races to go if you had to pick sir who has the inside edge on winning this championship well at about the midway point of uh, yesterday i would have said joseph Newhart. <laughs> he's looked poised to, to win another race and i i think probably would have taken over the points lead or at least would have been right there uh with marcus erickson and and his experience and being able to close on championships the last handful of years would have uh, given him the nod, but obviously there's so much up in the air of, of if he'll even be able to race this weekend that kind of, uh, you know, lets me shy away uh, from maybe picking Joseph Newgarden. Will Power has been incredibly consistent and, and uh, is a guy that has probably thrown away more championships than he has won in his career, but as he gets older, uh, you know, certainly has, has things figured out. Um, Marcus Erickson is just the one wild card, and I, I just can't figure out if Marcus Erickson is simply going to, you know, finish top fives and top sixes for the rest of the season, not win another race and win a championship. He might do that. He's been that consistent. Uh, he's just not very flashy. Uh, and then you've got some, some, some heavy hitters there that are about 34, 36 points back and guys like Scott Dixon, who's looking for his seventh and, and Pato Award, who has shown that, you know, he can get hot and get fast just about any racetrack that we go to. So, uh, it's going to be a great championship battle. I think there's six drivers. If you want to throw in Alex Pillow, that I think mathematically still have a chance at this thing with, with five races to go, and, and all six of them I think are capable of winning each and every week, getting hot, and winning a championship. So it, it's going to be a lot of fun down the stretch, and, and I don't think I could, I could pick a favorite right now. 
Cop out answer. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> All right, Nick, before we let you go, are you doing uh, double duty this weekend for IndyCar Radio? And also, is it PRN this weekend for the NASCAR side? Yeah, man, it's going to be an awesome weekend. I think it's great that, uh, that IndyCar and NASCAR have, have seen the value of, hey, let's, let's share a weekend at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and try to get as many fans out uh, to experience both sides of, uh, of, of, you know, North America's top motorsports series so yeah excited to call uh the nascar xfinity series race and the indycar series race on uh saturday and then the cup event on sunday on the road course it's uh it's cool it's kind of a blended crew for those that enjoy listening to motorsports on the radio you're going to hear some indycar radio voices you're going to hear some folks from the performance racing network that cover about half the nascar schedule uh it's a lot of fun and uh we're really looking forward to it and hope to see a lot of folks out the racetrack thanks nick Thanks, Nick. Hey, no problem, guys. Take care. Always good stuff from Nick. Always great to talk with him. And Always brings the energy yes. as well. Love Yeoman. Time for our three things from the doubleheader weekend at Iowa. And I think we can both kind of consolidate at least one of these because I think the number one takeaway from the entire weekend was just high V and their promotion and how successful of an event this was. You have... Everything they put into it, reports of, what, $10 million? Invested in it, yeah. uh, Thousands of dollars of in-market advertising, a $35,000 food truck contest that they had going on. Obviously, the concerts, Florida Georgia Line, Tim McGraw, Gwen Stefani, Blake Shelton, that got a lot of fans uh, of those music acts to Iowa Speedway who may not be interested in IndyCar. You had Mark Wahlberg on hand for the command. Marshall on, was it Sunday? Sunday, I think. Yeah. So overall, this was an excellent event. Sold out for Saturday, 38,000, I think close, if not to sold out for Sunday's race as well. So you're getting nearly 40,000 people both days getting in front of IndyCar. And I would say the race Saturday was solid. The race Sunday, um, it had some intrigue after Joseph Joseph Newgarden crashed. But I mean, overall, an incredible event and great job by Hy-Vee. From beginning to end of the weekend, from you know free Friday to letting everybody in free to the presentations of Saturday, Sunday, the semi-permanent suites that were made available. It was it was a great weekend for IndyCar, great weekend for Ivy, great weekend for Iowa Speedway. I think we immediately a lot of people think, okay, how do we do this elsewhere? But I just feel like it's a unique partnership between between Hy-Vee and IndyCar and Iowa Speedway that I don't think is necessarily replicated as easy as people like to think. I think Iowa Speedway has always been a great place for IndyCar racing, continues to be with multiple lanes on a short track. That's just not realistic in a lot of other ovals. I feel companies willing to drop eight figures on promotions for an IndyCar weekend is not as many as you'd think. And I feel the region too is starved and we had a lot of support from local and regional governments as well too. So it's a perfect storm that has worked out for Iowa and it should be celebrated and hopefully hopefully it continues into the future, at least this type of activation. But I think it's very difficult to replicate this elsewhere as easy as people like to think it is. Yeah, you have to have a partner that's all in, and, and High V was clearly all in on this weekend. I mean, the attention to detail on everything, just from reading different anecdotes about what 
the volunteers wearing the red shirts. I mean, they were Hy-Vee employees that were volunteering. They had those little pop-up markets for the campgrounds and for fans they go into and shipping containers that they turned into mini grocery stores. They did some things that other sponsors probably couldn't do uh, that catered to fans and made the weekend even more successful. And one of the fascinating things that uh, I learned and we both learned in race in uh, racer.com's article, Marshall Pruitt about the formulation of this past weekend was the fact that Bud Danker and IndyCar had already come to an agreement with NASCAR to rent Iowa Speedway for multiple seasons before high V entered the picture. It was almost coinciding and had nothing to do with each other with uh, Graham Rahal reaching out to Bud Denker and saying, hey, I have a sponsor in Hy-Vee that's really interested in activating at a larger level, series-wide level. And Bud Denker was like, hey, what a coincidence because we just made a deal with NASCAR to return to Iowa in a rental capacity. So this wasn't something that came together where Hy-Vee was saying, hey, you know, this would be great. And, and Iowa said, okay, Hy-Vee's in. And IndyCar said both. It was very much uh, IndyCar first renting the facility and then immediately after it all falling into place with high V. So credit to all involved. Great weekend, uh, really good couple of races as well. I think the big thing is there's not very many IndyCar races outside of the Indianapolis 500 in which there's a lot of people that come that have never been to a race before and are not really interested in racing. I, I think we read close to 50% of people that attended the weekend at Iowa had never been to an IndyCar race before. And we look at ways that NASCAR is trying to tap into that market. They were able to do that with the L.A. Coliseum clash. They're looking to do that with Chicago Street Race starting next year. How does IndyCar match that in terms of unique events to bring in fans that otherwise wouldn't attend a race? This was a perfect combination. You bring country fans in to see the concerts. And, you know, if some of them are entertained and come back for another race or tune in for a race, then it's a success. I think that's the goal. And, and they said 60% of the people who bought tickets from out of the state of Iowa. So you're getting people, and yes, you're getting a lot of people coming from the Indianapolis area and Indiana as a whole who are IndyCar fans, but you're able to draw from beyond just the Des Moines area in, in Iowa as a whole. And part of that's, like you said, because the concerts where you get half the, half the ticket sales for the concerts. And, and that's great. Look. You have 30,000 people approximately show up for the snake pit, the Indy 500, and no one's saying that's a bad thing. <laughs> no one cares there's a race going on. It's just the ambiance of race cars going around while listening to music. So, yeah, it's a great it's a great point because none of those people, hardly any of them, are coming for the Indianapolis 500 racing event. They're there for the snake pit event. So, by and large, just great event, and now you look towards year two. How do they improve it the heat was kind of an issue on saturday we read some stuff about that and people struggling to stay cool positive thing you could go to your car and come back there were pass outs you didn't once you were in the racetrack stuck there for the duration so a lot of things went well how do they build upon it at iowa and elsewhere i would say stay tuned yeah we'll we'll see if they can find something that is next you know with an event like this and look there are obvious examples you can point to to bring back loved events whether it's Meyer and michigan international speedway whether it's the milwaukee mile and menards you know i'm just thinking off the top of my head uh kroger and kentucky speedway 
Yeah. I mean, these are natural fits you think of right off the bat. Right. For and sure. I'm not saying that's going to happen because look, I, I don't, I don't have a clue, but yeah. IndyCar can approach partners in a more like in a different way. It's not just slapping your name on the name of the race and X number of tickets that you get out of the deal. It, it's, it's an immersive marketing and experiential thing. Like it's, it's not just paying money and signing a check to be a title sponsor. You need the right situation with the right company. So hy V, they're trying to go national, right? They're regional now. They're going to work towards going national. So this type of investment makes sense in terms of what their business goals are. So you need to find other companies that are trying to grow their footprint and look at IndyCar as an advantageous thing to invest their money in to try to grow their brand. And I feel like that's easier said than done, but it's better to have one of those partners than none of those partners. And maybe this grows into thing. Maybe maybe in a couple of years you, you approach hy and say, hey, you know, you want to grow in the Florida area. You know, you're trying to expand into the Southeast. Well, we're trying to get a race back at Homestead. You know, would you be interested in in going mega there or at least some form of mega like they do at Iowa. So Publix. Yeah. Publix is down there. I shop at Publix all the time when I'm on spring breaks down there. So it's exciting. It's, it's a new way. I feel that IndyCar can take advantage of different markets. We'll see how they use the momentum out of last weekend to potentially create another couple events this way and look it's a lot easier to do that when it's a road and street course the fact that they were able to do this on an oval is all the more impressive and you know maybe indycar can find another willing one or two partners to do this at an oval elsewhere texas looking at you yeah texas and what (laughs) h-e-b just throw whatever it it takes yeah whatever it takes all right uh let's skip ahead to our second takeaways uh I'll let you go first. Well, I'll take Jimmy Johnson because I know that's probably on your top three lineup. (laughs) But, you know, credit to Jimmy Johnson. Did a great job when he spun at the start of race one. I chuckled and I was watching it uh, on delay. And you said, just patience, patience. It was two really good drives for Jimmy Johnson. Almost set. He did set the trend on Saturday for that high line that was almost dangerously close to the marbles. And we saw on Sunday more drivers going up there to race where Jimmy was racing on Saturday. So it look, it fit his wheelhouse in terms of his background and, and racing on ovals and being able to find what works. I've never said that he can't be a competent racer on ovals. It's just, unfortunately there aren't very many on the schedule, but he took advantage of the opportunity over the weekend and a couple really good showings by Jimmy. Yeah. 11th in race one led a handful of laps fifth in race two where he was legitimately battling and and passing Marcus Erickson, the championship leader, his teammates and they raced hard. I mean, it was clean, but it was hard. Yeah. And it was a very impressive showing by him because like you said, he ran the high line. He figured that out early. And then on Sunday, he kind of had to work around that because everyone realized, okay, he proved you can do it. So he had to work around that. But overall, I think to me, what was impressive is, Yes, I get that it's an oval. It's going to be more in his comfort zone. This is a track he's never ran at before. True. Like, he's not been to Iowa Speedway running in NASCAR. So, his results, I was very impressed. And he even had some decent qualifying efforts as well. So, 15th race one, but in race two, 13th. I mean, he was mid-pack qualifying. Overall, it was a 
great weekend for him, his best weekend in an IndyCar. It was, and he kind of compared it to Bristol and how it raced in terms of the lines and all that stuff and where you could go on track. And, you know, when we talked to Nick Yeoman earlier in the podcast, you know, he kind of said he doesn't, and I feel the same way, I don't think Jimmy Johnson's ever going to be comfortable on road and street courses. He's just, his background isn't in it. You know, he he has limited time in open wheel. It wasn't like he even came up racing open wheel. So he doesn't really have that basis of knowledge to fall back on. But in terms of ovals, I feel like he can be a guy that I don't know if he's ever in a position to get a win on an oval in IndyCar, but I think he can run consistently top 10. And for that, I think he he should be applauded because it fits his mold of driving and his career a lot better than going left, right, left, right on road and streets. My second takeaway, you know, I'm going to go with Team Penske as a whole because they were just dominant this weekend and we knew they would be sure i i have to gloat because i picked new garden and pato award kudos yes look races. at you so we've actually done a good job on picking the winner this season i think we each probably have four or five that we've gotten correct shockingly but team penske as a whole will power swept the polls first time that's been done since 2013 that was simon paginot at detroit i believe um then you look at scott mclaughlin who uh, had an issue on Saturday, was running well until until that, but then a, a podium in race two. So overall, I mean, it was just a dominant performance. Yes, Joseph Newgarden obviously would have, sure he would have liked to have swept the weekend, and that was looking likely until that damper failure that that happened late in race two. But overall. They came in, they knew they were the favorite, they showed out, and it was a great, great result for the team. Uh, for Newgarden, unfortunately, it was another boomer bus weekend where you had both uh, between the two races, and unfortunately, that's probably going to come back to bite him in the championship in the, in the long run, as kind of Nick alluded to earlier. But overall, great weekend for Team Penske, and they've been dominant all season. This is just a continuation of that. They have, you know, you look at the Indianapolis 500, they struggled there. Toronto was a weekend to forget for Team Penske, but otherwise they've been towards the front. And it's, it's astounding, even with Newgarden, the the failure at the car on Sunday, the fact that he's led, I think, close to 45% of the laps he's ever turned at Iowa Speedway is just insanity to me. Dominated race one, was dominating race two before the, the, the failure, and the rest of his team kind of followed in seek. I'm kind of surprised with the speed that we saw out of Will Power that he did not get a win over the over the weekend. But Scott McLaughlin was there showing pace as well. So good weekend for Penske. But could we look back at it and say a bad weekend for Joseph Newgarden if he does indeed miss this weekend's race, which we're kind of waiting imminently as we record on Thursday to find out because it's usually they had said Thursday he was going to be medically released or not so we're kind of waiting for for that news i'm sure it'll come out 10 minutes after we're done recording yeah probably that that's how these things tend to work out but overall great weekend for penske and i i think look outside of indianapolis they have been by far the best team pretty much every weekend and not that that's a surprise but scott mclaughlin is kind of stepped up after a little mid-season slump that went at mid-Ohio, obviously going to boost your confidence. He still runs seventh in points. So 
three drivers in the top seven, and the guy who's in seventh is only his second full-time season, you, you got to be happy with that. You do, absolutely. And the way he started the season was tremendous, and he continues to impress, I feel, after maybe a mid-season swoon. But uh, ready for my number three? Yes. Can we talk Kyle Kirkwood? Yeah. Because off-season heading into this year, he was talked about being this next great talent coming into IndyCar from the road to Indy. Won, what, almost half of the races he started in the road to Indy. Yeah, he was dominant. Won all three series. Yeah. And, you know, he has a 15th and a 25th last weekend. He's had one top 10 this year. I know the asterisk some people are going to put is he races for Foyt. But the fact is, he has not been able to race clean races when Foyt has been able to give him a serviceable car. Yeah, the 15th on Saturday was the exception. Right. I mean, that's a look for a team like that. That's you take that with a rookie driver, but you go back to Long Beach where he was 10th. I mean, there's just been so many mistakes. I mean, Detroit immediately comes to mind where he made mistakes and was looking at a great weekend. Yeah. Mistakes got in the way. And he's a guy that now sits 24th in points. I mean, he's out of the leader circle right now. He's out of the leader circle by 22 points. Devlin DeFrancesco, he's last among full-time rookie drivers with DeFrancesco, Eilat, Malukas, and Lungard all in front of him. And I know we all anticipate his growth going into next year and Andretti, it'll be a better situation. But the fact of the matter is if he cannot stop crashing and not finishing races, his career is going to be a short one in IndyCar. I mean, there's some urgency even going into this weekend that he races a clean race for Foyt. Yeah. I mean, it, they're desperate to get that leader circle money, right? Because Kellett is out of it. And look, there's some cars. So example, uh, the fourth Andretti was like grandfathered in to the leader circle, but the, Jimmy Johnson Ganassi entry is not part of the leader circle, right? At least as far as getting the funding before the season. Um, so D Francesco, I don't think that entry is part of it regardless, uh, because they lost that out in 2020. Yeah. But it, it's imperative that he move up into the leader circle standings for the future of that team. Because I mean, it's, it's bad. It's There's not good. no other way to put it. I mean, they're right now they're zero for three in leader circle money because Calderon is no longer racing or that car isn't, right? And Kirkwood's 24th, Kellett's 25th. I mean, it's as bad as it can get for... for Kellett's actually 26th behind the 11 car. Ugh. So yeah, it it's bad. It's 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 the worst that Foyt has been, and we thought at least Kyle Kirkwood would be able to get well into the leader circle. And while you can blame some of that on Foyt and their unreliability. Some of it is Kirkwood's doing, and like I said, he's not going to have a very long career in this sport if he cannot finish races. Yeah, that's uh, in order to finish first, you must first finish, right? Isn't that yes. is that Rick Mears? Yes. So yeah, maybe uh, hopefully a turnaround weekend for Kyle Kirkwood because he's a great talent, but it's been a tough rookie year. There's plenty of great talents that crashed way too much and inevitably lost their seats in this sport. All right, my third and final takeaway this weekend, probably not going to be popular with some listeners, but we have to acknowledge it. Shout out to Roman Grosjean leading the charge for Andretti Autosport this weekend. Seventh in race one, ninth in race two. So double top 10. 
Yes, I know he's probably had a bit of a disappointing season from what we thought going into it, especially since the month of May started. Uh, but he's 14th in points. He's just behind Graham Rahal by a couple of points for 13th. I mean, he's on the cusp of getting into that top 12 range. That's not out of the question. Maybe even the top 10 if he gets some more good results. But it was a great weekend for him. And yet again, just like Gateway last year, he's excelled on a short oval. I feel like we go back and forth with Roman Grosjean by week here, and he has a disappointing week, and we talk about how he's underperforming, and then he has a good week, and we talk about how well he's doing, and then after this weekend, we'll come back and say, well, he is underperforming. So No, he won't. No? I'm calling my shots now, but you say he's, he's he, going to be a contender for the win this weekend, really? because this is one of his best tracks. Sure. We'll see. So credit to, to Grosjean. I think the biggest thing was no public drama with any of his teammates. And that goes for the entire organization for Andretti Autosport. But it was a good weekend for a guy that, like you said, had never been there and really just took what the track gave him, took what the car gave him, brought it home in one piece and got a pair of top tens. Not a good weekend for the team, but a great weekend for Grosjean. And <laughs> You know, Rossi was pretty much nowhere all weekend. Uh, Colton Herta looked like he was at least he had a shot at pole for one of the races. And then he had that engine change. Never really a factor. Uh, he finished 12th in race two, the race that he would have started up front, if not for the engine change. Overall, just bad weekend for the team, but great weekend for Grosjean. And I have to point it out. They got the results. Yeah. So kudos to Grosjean. I hope it continues. Look, I'm a Grosjean fan. I I love the way he drives. I love personally the way he bothers other drivers. Look, these are the people you guys wanted, right? You wanted drama. You wanted people that aren't going to all get along and and this and that. And then you have the same people come around and say, well, I don't like Romain Grosjean because he doesn't get along with his teammates or he races unfairly or this is how he always... Look, this is what we wanted, right? You didn't want cookie cutter drivers across the board in the paddock. You don't have it. And now some of you are complaining about it. Yeah, can't have it both ways. (laughs) That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. All right, what else out of Iowa? That's our three things, right? Yeah, but looking at, you know, you brought this up, and then I kind of started thinking about it and talking about Alexander Rossi and another dismal weekend, lapped both races. I mean, he was slow as all get out on both Saturday and Sunday. And but that was the team as a whole outside of Grosjean. Yeah. And they were just I not mean, Herta there. was up there in the first race before he had problems. Yeah. So... Nobody was as slow as Alexander Rossi was in terms of Andretti Autosport. And I don't, I don't know if it was you or somebody else I was talking to that just asked, like, like, where are we at with Alexander Rossi? If you take away an Indy 500 win that he won on merit, yes, but by fuel mileage, what has he done in this sport? He's has seven wins, same amount as, as Colton Herta, and significantly less time. I, I just, I don't know where we're at. I mean, Ryan Briscoe had more wins. He's a James Hinchcliffe with a different personality. Yeah. Now, granted, Rossi has contended for championships. Now, he hasn't since 2019. But, I mean, we've had guys who've contended for championships and, and kind of fallen off. You know, it, it, it happens. But I think, I think we're at a point now where Alexander Rossi has fallen off. It's not just bad luck. 
It's not. I, I, I'm. I'm sorry. I'm not buying into the whole arrow screen thing. You've had three years to figure that out. Okay. I mean, I think we'll truly know our answer next year because he'll have the team, he'll have the car, the crew, ever the I mean, strategy. Maybe. I mean, I think somebody brought it up in the in the in the mailbag with on racer.com is the fact that okay, Rossi's now going in with a with Pato Award is the clear alpha. Yeah. And Rossi is basically going to be a secondary driver there and he couldn't be more different personality-wise than Pato Award. And we're not sure you know, let's say Felix Rosenquist is back in the seat, for example, or Alex Pillow. How does Alexander Rossi mesh with those guys? I think that's as important as anything. I just feel like right now, Alexander Rossi's best racing days are behind him. And if he's not able to hit reset and revitalize his career at McLaren, then within two, three years, he's not racing in this series. That's where we're at because there's yeah. so much talent looking to break through in this series, if you go another two or three years without a win and you're five or six years removed from your last victory, you're not racing an IndyCar. Well, we kind of saw that with James Hinchcliffe, right? Yeah, right. And that was shorter. But, you know, it doesn't matter how popular you are or, you know, how much people like you and all that stuff. If you don't produce results in this sport and it's getting more and more cutthroat, not saying it's Formula One cutthroat, but it, it is getting more and more in terms of qualified drivers that want to get into the series that in only limited seats if you can't produce results you're not going to have a seat and alexander rossi needs to figure it out i'm tired of the excuses i'm tired of the you know oh bad luck and mechanicals and all oh, the arrow screens a problem alexander rossi's the problem and if he doesn't figure it out at mclaren then he's not going to be in this series for much longer so you're telling me you think it's rossi and not the andretti team being in disarray that's the problem I mean, he hasn't won in three years. You can't just blame the team for everything. You can't blame the arrow screen for everything. In the times that he does have a competitive car, he does something to screw it up. Like, when is when is he going to be res- held responsible for his driving as opposed uh, to just excuses? Next season. He, <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm telling you, like, it's next, next season. year is it. Like, you need to be able to show you have consistent consistent ability to compete because you know what McLaren's not going to have give you a a lot of rope they're in this thing to win races and championships and if you cannot do that you're not going to be with McLaren for very long no I mean I I would say they have a shorter leash than almost anybody else in the paddock I mean maybe Penske that's it we shall see uh, other takeaways from Iowa. I mean, we kind of touched on it, but again, hopefully Joseph Newgarden is okay. After some people reported he fainted, some people reported he fell in the bus lot. This is well after the race, after he'd been cleared from the infield care center. He was airlifted. That was just due to traffic from people getting out of the race and the concerts. Yeah. And it was like a 45 minute drive otherwise to the hospital. So awaiting on his availability. Otherwise, Santino Ferrucci on standby this weekend, which quite the interesting choice, but he'll be there for the Xfinity series. And uh, we'll see what comes of that. Again, no real answer yet as we record Thursday afternoon. His evaluation for New Garden, again, set for today. Just no real release. I'm sure that won't come out until Friday morning, I, w- I would assume would be the the update on that. Probably. Yeah, makes sense. Then we look at, at the races as a whole. The Sunday race, 812 passes, 262 for position. 
I thought the Saturday race had a lot more action in it personally, but still lacked action up front. Yes. You mean an NBC missed the pass for the lead in race one on the first round of pit stops. That's a whole nother conversation that we can get to in the future. I just, NBC continues to show absolutely horrible judgment and when to take breaks. To be fair, what? I mean, I know you have you to. Do? I know you have to. But if if a pit sequence is coming up, why would you break that? It almost like NBC looks at pit stops as worthy of missing, in my opinion. Yeah, I would say they're not, especially when they're green flag pit stops with the leaders. At least wait to break till they go and then do it. Then Marshall Pruitt uh, says IndyCar says 773 total passes took place uh, 332 for position. That would have been for the Saturday race. So more for position, less passes. Personally, I thought Saturday was better. Some other notes, David Malukas had a career best finish in IndyCar in race two as he finished eighth. Another really good run. Good run for the coin team that day. Sato was 10th. They also qualified pretty well uh, during the weekend as well. Yeah, good bounce back for Sato because he was very slow on Saturday. And Graham Rahal, Christian Lungard, great race one, ninth and 10th. Great qualifying for Jack Harvey the whole weekend. Unfortunately, the results, yet again, not there for Harvey as he qualified top seven both races, 18th and then 20th. The results for those, but uh, a good Saturday, at least, for the Rahal team on a track that they weren't expected to do that well on. Sunday, unfortunately, did not go so well. Back-to-back weekend showing some growth, right? I, I guess. I mean, other than it's Jack something. Harvey. I mean, imagine how excited Hy-Vee would be. Well, he the, qualified really well. Yeah, but then got lapped easily. Yeah. I mean, imagine how excited Hy-Vee would be in IndyCar if they actually had a competitive driver in their car. Yeah, that, that does help. That would, that would help exponentially. And to correct myself from earlier, this from IndyCar 1909, I said Simon Paginone at Detroit. It was not uh, 2013. It was 2016. Uh, Will Power, first driver since Simon Paginone, 2016 Detroit to win both pole positions on a doubleheader weekend. Gotcha. TV rating time. I I guess we'll get into it. Not great. (sighs) Not great, Bob. Both races on network NBC, of course, streaming on Peacock here in the the States. 0.61, 941,000 viewers on Saturday, which Saturday you're always going to have a lower number. That is standard. And you were close to that million Sunday, unfortunately, up against the cup race that was on USA at the same time. 0.45719,000. And yes, you can say, well, it's way up from 2020 of course at Iowa. It's but that was on network. NBCSN. So <laughs> yeah, right? it more than doubled for both. But the fact that we've not heard much of a peep out of NBC Sports PR on IndyCar numbers for, I mean, what, since Indy? Not even Indy, really. Before Indy is indicative of just where these numbers have been this season. This is a greater conversation for later on when we have some off weeks, but the TV numbers have been dismal lately. And and you have a theory that we will get to when we have one of those off weeks here in a couple weeks. I think we can address it and maybe even get Adam Stern on to talk about the, the business side. But you have a theory that makes sense to me that we'll dive into then. Right. That I think it does set the tone 
And that could be why this year is different from last year. And there is a notable difference and it's pretty easy. And if you want to guess, <laughs> feel free to reach out to us, but it's, <laughs> Let it's us not know. that complicated. I will be absolutely shocked if the 2022 IndyCar season has 14 network races. I mean, I will be 2023, 2023. Yes, <laughs> man, it's time's flying. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking at it on Sunday and IndyCar is on NBC and cup is on USA at the same time, I'm wondering why they aren't flipped. Because Cup outdraws IndyCar significantly, even when it's on cable, not network. So why should IndyCar get a network date and time when it can't even get a million people to tune in? If I'm a businessman, that's how I'm looking at it. But we'll delve into that further into the future. It's just, it's not been good. Not been good at all. No, it is not. All right. If you agree or disagree with us, we'd love for you to interact with us on social media. Our Twitter handle is IndyCar Podcast. On Facebook, like us, just search for New Track Record. Instagram, it is IndyCar Podcast as well. And you can email us, NewTrackRecordPodcast at gmail.com and send us your questions, comments, rants for IndyCar. You can find us on the web, NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, check out the store. We have t-shirts and stickers for sale. You can also become a patron, Patreon.com slash NewTrackRecord. Four different supporter tiers available for you. Thanks to Xavier and Rob for supporting us, among others. And again, it all starts with as little as $1 a month. And you can find us on your favorite podcasting platform, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podbean, or wherever you find your podcasts. As always, all for free. Okay, Justin, we have a ton to get to in the mailbag. Not that this is a surprise. Jimmy, fun to watch today. That was the Saturday race, and DC Soda says, save the race for me. Need to make New Garden start from the back tomorrow. <laughs> Daniel SCM 2004, what will Justin complain about? I you, always find something. You didn't have anything to complain about, though. Out of Iowa? With Jimmy Johnson. No, I mean, I, look, I was I was impressed. Colored me impressed. It was good. And he's, you know, for him to be set the trend on Saturday to race that higher line that other drivers, you know, found on Sunday. Very impressive. I, I was proud. Look, I like to see Jimmy Johnson have success. I really do. I I don't think he can have consistent success in a D car, but I don't hate Jimmy Johnson. I thought it was a great weekend for him. All right, rate the race. We start with the HiveyDeals.com 250. What would you give it? This is Saturday. Uh, seven and a half. Okay, I'm going to go eight. I, I thought really? it was a good race. Okay. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I get that the action up front wasn't amazing, but the action, what, past the top three, who both days, granted, checked out. Right, yeah. If you're looking at New Garden Power and Award in whatever order they were, I mean, they checked out both days. But right. outside of that, the racing in the top 10, I thought was phenomenal. The greatest thing that I love about Iowa is the pit strategies and how much the tires fall off. And NBC put a graphic up where, you know, basically top speeds and a fresh set of tires are 170. And by the end of the stint, you're at 150. And it felt like 50 mile an hour difference with some of those drivers and and going around slower traffic. Sometimes it was lap traffic unlapping themselves based on the pit sequence. So I, I love that type of fall off from the tires. It adds a new dimension and just another layer of things for, for Iowa Speedway. A lot of responses. NK Harden gave it a five. Watched the replay on Peacock and what little action there was they missed. They don't include anything that happened during commercials, even if it's side-by-side on NBC. Cut the JJ spin, Ed crash, Felix crash. Missed restart where New Garden passed power. 
also missed half the pit stops. If you take those things away like they did, all I got was a race out of the 1980s where the leader dominates most of the race. Only a couple cars are on the lead lap and the winner takes it without any drama. DC Soda gave it an 8, almost solely because Johnson it was great watching him go through the field. Newgarden wins again tomorrow, uh, though I'll retroactively lower it to a 7. <laughs> Hunter's Way 67 gave it an 8, despite Newgarden stomping the field at the end. Plenty of action, passing from the rest of the field, particularly Herta early on, then JJ later. Great job by High V putting this weekend together. Zach C8771. Said hard to say once Newgarden takes the lead to Iowa, the drama's kind of sucked out. Because uh, of the other race, I'm going to not be kind. Give it a five. It's fun to see Jimmy running up in the top five for a bit, though. Hunter J. Smith, 038. Great race. Old school feel to it. Leaders slicing through lap traffic. A few years ago, they would have just been stuck. Nothing wrong with seeing a driver dominate. Suffer to do that now than I believe any other time in IndyCar history. Vicky Lynn, 26, gave it a nine. Aside from Joseph's not unexpected dominance. A lot of good side-by-side racing. Great passing. Looking at you, Jimmy Johnson. Yeah, buddy. Jeremy from HBG. Darn fun race. I'm sure there's a number for that. Daniel Lessium 2004, probably a seven. Getting tired of New Garden running away with the wins here, but the tire dig makes the show interesting. And according to Stitch, gave it a seven. Traffic and degrading tires make good racing no matter how far the leader is out in front. And Seiko Say said, okay, overall, wish we had seen more strategies where people uh, r- race from the back on new tires like Herta Johnson and Castro Nevis. Sig Domer gave it a nine. Wow. Yeah. There are some, some pretty high numbers out there for some of these. Liked it more than we did. Yeah. That's fine. Finishing position that surprised you most. I mean, to me, it was Connor Daly. He struggled all weekend. Yeah, definitely. And I think that was... I mean, he qualified well and then just dropped like a rock both days. Yeah, didn't really have anything as far as race pace. When you look at it, Connor Daly, 19th, 48%. Jimmy Johnson, 11th, 29%. Rennes VK, 4th, 14%. Felix Rosenquist, 26 got 9%. Yeah, Felix had that crash. Uh, Daniel Essium, 2004. I thought Connor would have done better. Real surprise to me was Grosjean in 7th. Hunter's Way, 67 Says another disappointment from Daly. I like him and root for him, but I just don't think he's ever going to break through for that first win. And Samuelus with a 3 in there. I really thought Daly was going to be one of the cards to beat today. Not sure what happened to him. It it was surprising that he struggled because I thought this was a weekend where he could win a pole and get a top five and the cards just weren't there. Wasn't there. Uh, Demise 90 Racing says, uh, I love Iowa. I thought the race was great. Just Newgarden's just on a next level here, though. That's not a surprise. Nope, he tends to do that, right? That is what he does. And we forgot to mention this. IndyCar will be at Iowa the next three years per Bud Dinker, the track that's from C to hard, uh, Christopher to hard. Not that that is a surprise, but good it's, to see. it's good to see the, the return. All right. Looking at race number two, how would you rate race two? Would I give it a seven to the first one? I would give it a six probably. I, mean, I with, would go six and a half. Without the New Garden crash, it's like a five. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. <laughs> Daniel, Daniel SEM 2004 says, before New Garden crash, I'd say it was probably a four or five. After is around a six. Penske cars just made it a runaway. DC Soda gave it an eight. All that was missing was some more battling at the front. Feel a bit bad that I jinxed New Garden, but oh well. Really cool to see Johnson back up yesterday's performance as well. 
Hunter's Way 67, five or six, kind of a snoozer today after Saturday's show. NK Harden, six, I was driving, so I had to listen to the radio broadcast. If not for the New Garden wreck, this race would have been bad. Maybe some people prefer tire dig races to what we saw in the early years of this track, but I don't. This rank is two of the worst races of the year for me. Uh, he says, I hate that I feel that way because the event itself looked amazing. Credit to Hy-Vee, RLL, and so many other people that made it happen. No track promoter has done more, but the on-track show was a letdown. Jeremy from HBG was turning a lot lower. Give it a 7.5. Incaptine 185, give it a 9. Lots of position changes. New Garden shockingly crashes out of the lead. Multiple cautions to bring the pack back together. Push to pass cast, gave it a 10. Vicky Lynn, 26, 7.5, like Saturday's race better. Fewer cautions. The third lane was noticeably less usable with more marbles. Got it for Joseph, but happy for the guys on the podium. Hunter J. Smith gave it a nine. Just a simple, good, solid, amazingly classic short track IndyCar race. So seeing a lot higher ratings than I would have expected. Drankin, 21, gave it an eight. Need a little drama at the finish. So look at, at some of the replies on rate the race. Heil, Heil, Mike. Give it a solid nine. A power would have had a little more at the end. It would have been a 10. Good as a high V man brought back Iowa and then some playing spades. I'd say eight and a half. I think the leader being able to run away and hide kind of took some suspense away. Absolutely love the race. Loved the weekend. Yeah, all over the place. Some people like, especially race two. Yeah, that was, I think that was my biggest surprise. Right. Is that the, the ratings, like you said, were just all over the map. For this, it just shows that piece, different people have different priorities on what makes a race good or not, and nothing wrong with that. A couple other notes from Iowa: uh, Chris McFadden, who's Dalton Kelt's left rear tire changer, he was hit during one of the pit stops. He was released from the hospital. In fact, I think they expect him back uh, this weekend, which is crazy. Uh, Big D Cart gave the race a 3.8 with much hype. I expected more action and not an oval parade. I didn't think it was an oval parade, but no, I didn't. Each own. Up people, front, baby. Yeah. People's thoughts on Santucci, Santino Ferrucci getting the super sub. Uh, Elena Cat 99. I've seen far too many drivers admit to not liking the guy, so I'm guessing the issue is with his personality rather than his ability. If he can't get along with his teammates, it's difficult to justify hiring him full time. He's got skills that's undeniable. Jeremy from HBG, I kind of want him to run and win just to watch the internet burn. <laughs> I just find it fascinating that every team is eager to hire him for a one-off or to sub, but aren't interested in full-time. Like if he's if he's that bad for a a, a team, why are you even entertaining him for one race? But yeah, that's me. Another rate the race for Sunday. Phil underscore Barksdale gave it a seven. Happier with the result as a Pato fam. The Saturday race was the better of the two. Yeah, I, not a question to me. I think that was a given based on, on what we saw. Yeah, sure. Likewise, I agree. A couple of replies on, on Hy-Vee and, again, what to expect in the future. Demise 90 Racing says, I really hope so. It's amazing to see the effort they put into this weekend's event. Yeah, it's going to be a multiple-year deal. You just hope... Yeah, that high V sees the value in continuing to invest that much capital into the event. People with some responses. A driver change could be on the cards for the number 20, 29 Andretti Autosport car for next year of Devlin D. Francesco, despite being on a multi-year deal. Uh, N.K. Harden says good. He's proven he isn't good enough. Hunter's Way 67. Hopefully it will be Askew. 
Vicky Lynn 26. I really hate these one and done deals contract or not. Some teams are doing these days. I get AA is struggling. Giving up on a driver who hasn't performed as well as hoped in his first year is all kinds of wrong in my books, but it's not my business to run. Contracts are contracts. And we are finding out they mean absolutely nothing. Yes. Or very little. Very, very little based on uh, what we've kind of been told and, and seen and just how things have gone. It's not, it's not great, but this is how it works. This is how things go. Some thoughts on the Palo contract situation. Chip Ganassi, this from Jenna Fryer. Chip Ganassi saying, I want to win championships. I want Alex Palo in my car, and I'm not talking to any other drivers. Uh, Nick J. Fletcher says, I imagine this is going in with Mari Povich having Chip, <laughs> Alex, Zach, Renus, Ryan hunter and Eilat and others all on stage. You are not the driver. <laughs> <laughs> Thought that was great. Yes, I would agree. I like I like Mari. I like trash television. To <laughs> you, a certain extent. You you would. The hell is that supposed to mean? No, I'm just saying you hey, would like I it. own it. You own like, it? Yeah. I like Mari. Yeah. You own it. That's the key. No, it's not a dig. I was just saying you would. <laughs> like you would like it. All good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks everyone for the mailbag submissions. As always, tweet us, Facebook, email, Instagram, snail mail. Each and every week. All right. News and notes time and, and several things to get to. First off, Callum Eilat renews a multiple year partnership with the team. That is the wording from Hunkos. I'm being very specific. They also do intend any, a second car full time for Hunkos in 2023. All positive things there. Not a surprise, but still good nonetheless. I mean, considering, you know, Chip Ganassi potentially sniffing around Callum Eilat, other teams, doesn't sound like Eilat will be an option, but what do contracts mean? Not much. But it's a new contract. So multi-year. So he's locked up for several years and it's very positive. Taking a look at it, silly season stuff and, and Marshall Pruitt had a silly season update last week. Really just the takeaway. They're F2 drivers interested in IndyCar. Brazilian Felipe Drogovic. I believe that's how you say it. New Zealand's Marcus Armstrong as well. An F2 interested. Um, Benjamin Peterson uh, likely headed to Foyt. That's uh, apparently something that Marshall even says. Don't be surprised if it's announced soon. For and you're going to bring a sizable car. amount of, of capital, it sounds yes. like. Yes. Third entry, uh, probably not coming back, um, at least as a part or full-time car this season. As far as next year, kind of depends. Andretti staying at four cars, uh, back to Foyt. Dalton Kelly, and this was interesting. Uh, Marshall saying, um, it seemed like Kellett may not return to Foyt. I mean, he wants to return, but... I know, but he's it, completely yeah. ineffective. That was for multiple years in that car. Bit of a surprise. There's really nothing on the Ganassi side. Yes, they have Kiffin Simpson as a development driver, but that's he's going to be in lights with HMD. In fact, he's with lights in HMD right now. The, the 10 car will obviously be the, the key piece for Dale Coin Racing, David Malukas, Takuma Sato. They have contracts for, for both of those drivers. Uh, to return, Malukas has a multi-year deal, according to WeAreTheRace.com. And Linus Lundquist, they like to be in a third car, but we've also 
read that Honda's max out at 15 full season entries. I think we're running against it. We talked about expansion and it sounds like Honda and even to a lesser extent, Chevrolet is telling IndyCar and IndyCar teams, hey, look, we're only going to support a maximum amount of X cars in the series in terms of full-time drivers and IndyCar is approaching that number. So another hurdle in having just two engine manufacturers. Yeah, Nathan Brown saying Chevy max out at 13 full season and Honda at 15. So that's where we're at. They're already at 15 at, at Honda currently. So not sure where the space comes from, but that's where we're at. Talking about, um, let's see, some uh, some changes for Iowa as far as Hy-Vee. Randy Etiker is stepping down as CEO of Hy-Vee. That's something to keep in mind. Hopefully that doesn't impact anything going forward. No, hopefully not. And with that, it's time to get to all the contract drama. With Alex Blow, and there's been so much, a lawsuit filed by Chip Ganassi Racing. We saw the, the public records link. It was taken down after a few hours yesterday, but... One, these aren't unheard of. This from Trackside Online. Dan Weldon sued Panther Racing in August 2010 with five races left in that season for unpaid contractual obligations. They settled quickly. Obviously, Ryan Hunter Ray and Rocket Sports back, what, 2003 or four? That one's been a while, and Hunter Ray won that lawsuit against the team. There's been a a lot of statements here and there. We're not going to get a lot of info from the court filings because, quite frankly, everything's sealed besides the stuff we already know. The press release... And the tweets. And that's it. Just thing makes things even more awkward between team and driver for the rest of the year. I mean, it's already very awkward, but it, now it even is more so. what it is. There's, it's not going to change. And I'm sure while this caught some of us off guard, it probably didn't catch Alex Pillow and his people off guard. I'm sure they knew it was coming. Yeah. And McLaren, um, not going to pay the buyout. That would come from Pillow's management team, MIM. And you just kind of wonder and hope that the management team doesn't run Pillow's career into the ground. I mean, that's ultimately the question, right? That's the hope, right? They put him in this mess. They can pay to get him out of this mess. And the other thing that's curious, Pillow's lawyers released a statement to the civil lawsuit from Chip Ganassi Racing. We are disappointed CGR would attempt to keep Alex from an opportunity to compete in Formula One and even more so with CGR's public court filings and continued commentary to the press on this matter. Formula One, huh? Interesting. Yeah, right. Just they, they, they're, they're eyeing just one goal, right? And they don't care what kind of scorched earth they leave in the path. Yeah, that, that is the issue. Other notes: Jamie Chadwick considering Indy Lights for 2023 from FormulaScout.com. That would be a very welcome addition to the series. I would uh, say. Yeah, I would agree. Um, she's done all she could in that series. And honestly, I think she needs a new challenge that will actually challenge her in a better series. I would agree. I mean, back to back, um, was it formula W is that what it's called? W series. W yeah. series. Yeah. So it, it'd be good. And anytime you can get diversity in, in the road to Indy is good. 2024 hybrid any car engine testing pushed to the off season problems um, with it. Yes, MarshallPruittRacer.com reporting that. Look, they have plenty of time, so I guess it's nothing to panic about, but this is the second time post-pandemic that we've had this pushback. Well, I mean, they've been testing it and realized that some things were going wrong technically involving engine parts. That's all I really understand, but this is why you start this process so early is to work out the kinks. 
and uh, related to IndyCar, but IMS will have an announcement Friday morning. I am told that will be for an IMSA race next year, just for clarification, because that's been rumored for a couple of weeks, and, and that's the update. All right, time for our race weekend preview. Three key stats from Chad 200 for the Gallagher Grand Prix at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course. Power, five wins, six poles, 341 laps led. No other drivers more than 81. Dixon, last five starting spots, 12th, 15th, 16th, 26th, 21st. Three laps led, so he struggled here. Now he did uh, get a podium back in, what, 2018? Ray Hall, most top 10 finishes all time, plus 75 positions last 10 races there. Can I, and I say this, I love IndyCar. This is the least exciting race of the year for me. Yeah. I mean, it's just, we're at the road course again and you can spin it with NASCAR there and blah, blah, blah. It's just the, it's the least exciting. It's got the least amount of hype in my opinion. Let's get it out of the way quick then. Yeah, let's Prediction for the winner. Move on. Um, I will take this weekend Scott Dixon. Wow. So you say he's going to beat that trend? Yes. I'm going to go willpower because that's the easy pick. You would. It worked <laughs> out last week. Schedule for the weekend Friday practice session, 930 to 11 Eastern in the morning. In Peacock, IndyCar Live, IndyCar Radio. Then qualifying at 1 to 2.15 in the afternoon Eastern. Same outlets. They'll have a warm-up on Saturday, 8.15 to 8.45, pretty early in the morning. And then the race, 12 to 3 o'clock, the TV window on NBC. It's it's not listed on the website as being on Peacock. I'm sure it's on Peacock, though. That's got to be a... has to be. It's got to be a, a mix-up. And then the green flag, uh, what, approximately 12.25, I believe, for this weekend, roughly. So that is the schedule for the weekend. All right, a couple other notes to get to. Sage Karam, 20th place finish at Pocono in the Xfinity race last weekend as he returned there for the first time since the 2015 IndyCar race, uh, the tragic accident involving Justin Wilson. So a great run for him. And then this from Jenna Fryer. I had actually heard this a few weeks ago, but Bobby Rahal uh, told Jenna that doctors said he suffered a heart attack and had some complete blockage back on May 5th. He discovered during a routine physical triple bypass on June 6th. So it's been back a couple of races since then, but uh, good to see that he's okay and doing well. Absolutely. All right. Tweet of the week. Just one, just one, but it was really good from our Cole. Did Alex sign another contract that in reply to the Devlin D Francesco Andretti Autosport article that uh, Andretti may move forward. I thought that was really funny. It's going to be the gift that keeps on giving. All right. Random split era driver of the week time. Okay. So we're up against it recording. So we're not going to delve into a particular driver this week. I'm just telling you, we're doing research on the 2005 champ car season. It's going to easily give us another three months of random split era drivers of the week. So that's something to look forward to as we go in. Do you remember uh, in 2005, the last race of the season in 2005 for Champ Car. Was it like in Mexico? It was. Mexico City. Wow. Yes. And, of course, who won? Bourdais. Bourdais, part of his four straight. <laughs> Easy guess. And the rookie of the year, you'll never get. Who was it? Timo Glock. Oh, I remember Timo Glock. He raced an F1. Did he really? Yeah. Timo okay. Glock. Wow. 
as wow, a blast he finished from the tenth past. in the drivers' championship in early yeah in late two thousands. But anyway, that that's just a sneak preview of some of the guys we're going to delve into starting next week. The 2005 champ car season, a treasure trove of random drivers of the week. So Timo Glock will be our, our first edition. Yeah, we'll roll with Timo next week. We'll delve into Timo's background. All right. Well, for Justin Kinney and for Nick Yeoman, I am Caleb Hatch. Thanks for joining us on another edition of New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.